Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Freely you have received, freely give. This is Christ for us, is it not? Freely we have received our salvation. Freely the Lord has poured out his mercy upon us. Without any merit or worthiness in me, he has redeemed me a lost and condemned sinner. Purchased and won me, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious death, and with it, or with his innocent suffering and death. What a joy it is, then, to gather here around Christ, Christ crucified for us, the risen and ascended Lord who lives and reigns over all things for us. But it is that God has also called us to not just gather around together in a circle, as maybe the Quakers would do, but he has called us to be served to be served by a pastor. He has gathered the church around those who are there to preach and teach rightly and to administer the sacraments rightly. But if there must be one to preach and to teach, how are they to come to the church unless they are called? You see that this on the vigil of St. Matthias is exactly a time of instruction on the call. There's not much known about St. Matthias other than he was put forward by the church. Not just the 11 apostles left since Judas had hung himself. No, it was not just the 11 apostles, but also the 120 gathered, as we read in Acts chapter 1. They put forward not just Matthias, but also Barsabbas, who is also known as Eustace. He was another candidate to replace Judas. Now, what is known about these two candidates is really very little. Only that in order to be qualified for this Uh, apostleship to replace Judith, they must have been present with the disciples from the time of John the Baptist baptizing Christ to the time of Christ's ascension. They must have been witnesses of the Lord Jesus, been with him, heard his teaching, and seen this crucifixion and resurrection ascension. That's it. That was the qualifications for these two men. Now, we would be remiss if we forgot the rest of the qualifications that St. Paul lists in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn and open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, in which case you can see those qualifications. Now, I've already preached on these, but I thought I might as well give them to you again, just so you're remembering it. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. 
Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Did you see that? Uh, Not greedy for money. That means I cannot, as a pastor, stand before you and be a lover of that filthy lucre. What did Jesus say as he sent them out? Freely give. Freely give. That's it. I can't charge you for the gospel. I can't charge you and and let there be some exchange of goods happening between us. Because I didn't purchase the blood of Christ. I didn't buy the gospel. I don't own it. I don't possess it as my own possession in which I can keep some from having it and others have it when they pay enough money. No rich man can buy this gospel, this good news of your forgiveness. But to some people's belief, they own the pastor. They pay him. In fact, if you want to go and find something out, you can go and look at a church budget. Most of the budget of the church is dedicated to the pastor and his benefits. Well, that means that we're paying the pastor. No, it doesn't. It means that you're supporting the ministry. It means that you're supporting there to be an office of preaching and teaching among you that you might benefit as a Christian from the work of Christ in your midst. Freely have you received, so freely you give. It's not just words for the pastor, is it? It's also words for a congregation. Because they have received the gospel freely, without cost, they have been given the greatest treasure in all the earth, yet they desire to retain it among them. And so as they have freely been given to, that is, they have freely received from the hand of Christ, they also so freely give to support such work. What is going on in this work? Well, a pastor that is fully supported, that is a fully uh, full-time pastor in a congregation has so much obligation. There are so many things that you can do. You can go and visit the poor. You can go and visit the sick in the hospital. You can go and visit those who are not able to make it to church. You can have counseling during the week. You can teach multiple Bible studies. The financial concerns for the pastor and his family are relieved so that he can go about freely ministering the gospel without much concern for the day-to-day of his family's life. His wife is able to manage the household. She has all that she needs to uh, be supplied with the necessary funds to purchase things that are for daily living, like any of you might go and find a job to do so, to get that support. But think about a partially supported pastor. A partially supported pastor cannot be expected to the same degree as a full-time pastor do all of these things because there is another need. He still must support his daily living. St. Paul was among such people. He said that uh, as he traveled that his hands labored in doing things to support him. 
What the congregation gave him was equivalent to that of an ox not being muzzled while he was treading on the threshing floor. He got a little bit of benefits from the grain that fell, but that wasn't enough to fully sustain him. Thus, he had to labor. He was a tent maker by trade. So he still did other things while yet never charging for the gospel. What about a fully unsupported pastor? What could you expect of such a man as that? Well, those that have become consistent within the Missouri Synod, as we have watched many pastors retire, congregations get smaller, not willing to give up many things or sacrifice in order to be able to have a full-time pastor, that is, whether combining with other churches or finding themselves other ways in which to sell some property or such and such. They have found themselves restricted to a pastor who shows up on Sunday to give them the word and sacrament. And even some churches aren't able to even support a pastor to be able to do that. And thus, they might have that reduced to a few times a month. But again, the pastor isn't there to charge for the gospel. But if he is unsupported, how is he to make the way there? How, I mean, you have gas expenses. You have other expenses associated with your time away from home, depending on how far away the congregation is. So why do we support pastors? Why is it that after my work in Pittsburgh, I found that the, the cost to have a full-time pastor is around $100,000 in this age? Why would we pay $100,000? Oh, that's already the wrong mindset, isn't it? It's not that you're paying $100,000 to have a pastor. It's that this is what the cost is to support the office of the holy ministry in your area. It can be a hard thing to stomach for congregations. Is it that the pastors are lovers of money? That this is what it costs? I don't think so. But we have definitely run into... Head on, perhaps, one of the greatest struggles within our congregations. Do we have to do this? And the answer is no. You don't have to support a pastor. That's a choice. Now, what does it mean if you don't? The word of God has a few things to say. Galatians 6.6, 6, St. Paul's words to the church in Galatia, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Well, if you're not being taught the word, what could you expect? That you're probably not then also going to share with one who teaches. Thus, the one who doesn't have a pastor in their midst is perhaps going to turn to trusting in themselves. Because, again, as the pastor is not paid, he is also not bound to your desires. He can preach freely the word of God. That means he can condemn sins. He can preach against whatever things you are doing wrong, whether you take offense to it or not. Because he is not a hireling, you don't get to dictate what 
he says. There is one who does. He is called to a higher power, that is to the Lord Almighty. He is responsible for every word that comes from his mouth, but he is responsible to the Lord who gave the word. It doesn't give him excuse to be rude or quarrelsome, as that would, again, disqualify him from the office. But he is called to preach the truth, in season and out of season. What else do we learn from the word of God about the support for the office of the holy ministry? 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And also we learn this, that there is the word of the Lord, the command that the one who preaches the gospel should make his living by the gospel. But I guess it's the, de- the decision of the church. What is it that you want to be surrounded with? If you want the gospel in your midst, the declaration of your sins forgiven by the one who stands in the stead and by the command of Christ, it will require sacrifice. It does require us to give freely as we have been freely given to. But if you don't desire that in your midst, well, I think we know what happens. The dwindling support of pastors around this United States has been seen in many places. And that has also resulted in the diminishing of the gospel being in many places. And while there is no rubric for what to pay a pastor, nor is there a conversation about him earning anything, we do have to realize that if that office is unsupported, then so is the ability to work in that office all the time. Not in a closed 9 by 14 room. I'm talking about the office of preaching and teaching. To be present where the pastor is needed, to counsel wherever is required, wherever he is called to go. Whether that's the hospital, the home, anywhere. The church itself. God has given to us a special gift here on earth. And that he has set up a way for the congregation to be served in word and sacrament by those who are called to teach. And you as a congregation are the ones who call the pastor You call him. Though he is placed and called by God, it is through you that he stands here. And this is an important work among us. It is the work that God has given for us to be fully satisfied with that free gift of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ who shed his blood freely on the cross. Not for the love of money. Not because anyone bought his atonement. But out of love he went in service. So also is it for the pastor, for every congregant who loves the word, who loves Christ, to give freely as they have been freely given. For God loves the cheerful giver. So we rejoice. Together we rejoice in this gift of God to his people here on earth. For we rejoice in the one who was crucified for us, 
and who left for us the ministry of the gospel to preach in every place that the kingdom of heaven has come near and that God has made all things ready for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.